0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 8 or Mark 5 or Luke 8. Your choice. We'll be in all three of them, actually. Two weeks ago, we started this episode. The casting out of multiple demons. From a couple of demoniacs, one of which was so prominent by the name of Legion that it left that impression. And so Mark and Luke, writing from their second-hand sources, recorded the event as if Legion was the only demoniac present. Matthew, though, was an eyewitness, and as he recorded the event, there were two demoniacs present. We don't have any problems with the apparent discrepancy, recognizing that Such things are actually common throughout the Synoptic Gospels, as an expression of the varied points of view these Gospels are written from. All right, I have arrived at Matthew 8, 28, and that's where I guess we'll start. Before we begin, let's take time for silent prayer to assure that we are adjusted to God's truth, shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing we have to assemble together. We do ask for your hand of blessing upon us. Not only uh, in the process of receiving this message, Father, clearly we need eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. We need uh, distractions to be set aside. We need to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. But beyond what we need here and now, Father, we need your ongoing grace to take hold of this message once we have learned it and uh, bring it forth into application. Father, bring these passages to our remembrance, and Father, uh, convict us through the Holy Spirit that... The word of God is not only to be learned, but it is to be lived day by day and with each passing moment. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Episode 29, our Galilean ministry, the Gadarene demoniac. We uh, got through a couple of the points starting off with the harmonization. I will not go back through that. I think we're okay on what how we handle it when there are discrepant details. That's not to say that they are contradictory because they are always complementary, that uh, distinctions between the different records can be harmonized. There is not a single place anywhere in the Gospels that we have uh, an impossibility of harmonization. We can always harmonize the divergent details. Matthew gives the shortest account. He does not give the name Legion. But he does refer to both of the demoniacs that are present. Other details as well. I was able to share with a friend of mine last Monday night. We were in a a different church. We were there for a scout meeting. And they had some Bibles on the shelf across the room. And I went and I, sure enough, it was one of those Bibles I was telling you a couple weeks back where this demoniac here goes by the name of Mob. And uh, so I pulled it off the shelf and I said, you won't believe what they've done to Legion here in recent years. And he says, what do you mean, Legion? I, so I opened the door. I mean, opened the. he knew who Legion was. And I t- opened the passage and he read mob and he couldn't believe it either. Where, where have things gone, I guess, in modern times? Anyway, a couple other differences, but we'll pass by those. Secondly, we examined the region. We did a little map work and you should have a map that we handed out a couple of weeks back um, or you you chunked it already because you got better maps on your own, in your own study Bibles or in the back of your own Bible. <coughs> Part of this is uh, interesting only for a uh, manuscript examination if you are into the technical details of text criticism and then some of the various manuscript variants, uh, particularly with respect to the spelling of certain names, can be of uh, significant interest. However, we're not going to... Go back to that this morning. Now, thirdly, I get past these. In examining these demoniacs, either legion by himself or the two of them together, the vocabulary we want to keep in mind are these particular terms. And we have a verb and we've got a couple of nouns. A verb and a couple of nouns. And Did we get this far? Okay, then let's uh, slow down now and take a look at it. In Matthew 8, we're told that there were two men, in verse 28, when he came to the other side into the country of the Gerasenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him. Now the phrase, who were demon-possessed, or two men who were demon-possessed, is an interesting way of expressing the term here, which is a participle, and you see it on the screen, I Let me get this back up. Pardon me one moment. Get that thing running. Since it's taken me three months to get my little clicker going, I want to make sure I have it running on a Wednesday morning. Um, We have just two words here. Duo, the number two, and then da right there. Two little words. The number two, and then the participle. And we have to render that participle by all of these helping words in English, men who were demon-possessed, right? The duo is two. And then the Daimonidzamai participle is men who were demon-possessed, all right? And you got to cram all of that into this one word, but I hope that uh, by drawing it out and drawing it to your attention, we recognize what's taking place here. menoi. Say that five times fast. Number 1139 in your Strong's index. Now, it's a compound, and you can probably see the first five letters there or so, daimon. All right, that that can be red. Um, Let me see if I can change off of red. Who likes red? Who likes yellow? Here we go. Daimon, right there. And there's your noun, daimonion. It's a standard term for a demon. Or a uh, spirit being, a daimonion, a knowing being, even. Um, since in the ancient world, people uh, the the belief was that you could consult these daimonion, and by consulting them, you could acquire information. Matter of fact, the pagans still do it to this day <laughs> with their witchcraft and with their um, the different fortune telling, uh, astrology type uh, practices that they go through. So we start in this compound verb here, or this participle, rather. With daimon, and then we have idzami on the end of it, and idzami, fairly standard ending, verbal ending for a middle voice type verb, or a deponent type verb. So the idea is, think, think. We do the same thing in English with the with the suffix eyes i z e, right? You can take a noun and add eyes on the end of it. I know there's more examples besides woman eyes. Realize, okay. Thank you. Shirley's bailing me out here. But you can take other nouns, put an eyes on the end of it, and what are you doing? Alright? If you idolize somebody, you've made an idol out of them, or you're under the influence of an idol by idolizing, or womanizing, or, um, hyperbolizing, or there's other things you can do. Realizing. There you go. But demonizing. All right, demonizing. Now the middle voice emphasizes both the active and the passive sizes to this, sides to this, the person himself is demon possessed actively, but as a result of that he is under the control of that demon passively. Does that make sense? If you are demonized as opposed to energized or whatever else you might be. Um, You're not really the one doing it. If you are demonized, you're not in charge. See, the demon's in charge. And so there are times when, in the scriptures, Christ is dealing with a demoniac. He's face-to-face with a demoniac, and he addresses that individual. Is he addressing the human being, or is he addressing the demon within the human being? He's addressing the demon within the human being, as a matter of fact. Until, typically now, until that demon is cast out, you don't even address the human being. Involved. At least we don't see that in the, uh, in the Gospels here. So, this is the participle. So, two, I prefer the noun demoniac to men who were demon-possessed. In my mind, a demoniac, simply as a noun, communicates the, uh, the issue here that they are under the possession and control of a demoniac under the control of a demon. So, I would prefer, just in my own way of thinking, as I read through this, to say, uh, when he came to the hill country of the Gerasenes, two demoniacs met him as they were coming out of the tombs. And that would be just simply a way to render duo in, uh, duodemonizamenoe in a shorter fashion. Now, in Mark's account were similar, um, although uh, it's interesting that if you turn over to Mark 5, you'll notice that it is a man with an unclean spirit. A man with an unclean spirit. Oh, I know what I can do. This is even faster. Nope. A man with an unclean spirit. Now, that's another idiom. Uh, Speaking of the fact that he... um, Right here. N plus the dative. in an unclean spirit with an unclean spirit by an unclean spirit it's an interesting phrase and, and there's nothing wrong with with in the english translation with an unclean spirit but think about that preposition think about in the blessings we have if you are in fellowship you know what that's called if you're in the spirit that's in plus the dative of 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 uh well, that's what we have here we have enuma in the spirit the problem is though is that we have an adjective attached to numa and it's not holy it's not holy spirit all right this is the akathartos spirit so it's similar language to what you and i would expect if we are in fellowship that is if we're in the holy spirit controlled by the holy spirit it's it's again descriptive of what happens when an unbeliever that's subject to these demons is under that kind of an influence It's directly parallel to our influence under the Holy Spirit. Meaning what? Meaning uh, there's a teaching ministry going on. There's an empowerment taking place. There's a guidance and a leading that that is uh, occurring on a daily basis, moment by moment basis. But whereas you and I embrace that with the Holy Spirit, I want to be under the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. These guys are paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. That teaching ministry is working within them whereas i want to be empowered by god the holy spirit for every bible class i teach every ministry i undertake they're being empowered as well but as demonically empowered and then the guidance and direction i want i want to be obedient to the divine guidance as it is expressed through the holy spirit indwelling me these guys are under that guidance and direction of the demon that indwells them so it is an interesting phrase in numati akatharto and uh, if we if we would just take off that akatharto, we would say numati, in the spirit. Revelation 1, John said that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So that uh, that adjective on the end of spirit then becomes important, the term unclean. So he is a man with an unclean spirit. I don't mind the with, I guess, but to me it's more vivid if you think of it as in, that is indwelt by, in the sphere of, this unclean spirit. You know, otherwise it might seem like he was just, you know, in his pocket or something or holding hands or, he's, you know, his buddy hanging out here. There was a man with an unclean spirit. No, it was within him. He was indwelt like you and I are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. Oops, how do I get past that? There we go. And then in uh, Luke, Luke uses the verb echo, which means to have and we're told in Luke 8, 27, that he encountered a man who was possessed with demons, or a man having demons. The idiom there being having demons, the participle of echo. And in this case, it's a present participle, which we observe right here, echon Having daimonia, and daimonia with your alpha ending is just the plural of daimonion with your singular ending there. Having Demons, multiple demons. How many? Well, we don't know. If he was named appropriately, the name Legion, referencing a Roman legion of the day, was 6,000 combat troops and an equal number of auxiliary support troops. So do I think there were literally 12,000 daimonia within uh, within his being? Who knows? That's just simply the name that he went by. Again, the vivid, the vivid description of these terms: having a demon, having a demon, present active participle of echo, continuously having, right now in present time. Not only was he indwelt. Uh, think about. Um, well, again, it's, it's, it's vivid, just like the the sphere of n plus numa there that we looked at in Mark. Uh, think about things that you can have. You can have. A heart attack. Hopefully not today. <laughs> but while you're having it, right? Is it different while you're having it than after it's done? Or other things you can have? You can have a headache. You can have a stomachache. You can have a bad day. All right. While you're having it, that's what's going on. That's the that's what's occupying your uh, attention. In this case, he's having. A demon. Again, that's experiential, that's possession, that's uh, the fact that he is not in his faculties. Uh, this one uh, causes this guy to just strip naked and hang out in cemeteries and, and uh, attack people nearby, very animalistic. Uh, there are other cases. There's a boy that's demon-possessed, we'll see after a while, and he's constantly being thrown into the fire and gashing himself, cutting himself, bringing himself to harm. The, uh, the nature of these demons is really quite chaotic, it's quite, uh, um, well, chaos is, in my mind, the best way to describe it. It's, uh, it's, you can't really render it as an insanity in terms of human insanity because it's demonic insanity. And it's that, that influence of a, of a human body with an evil spirit and uh, producing the madness that it produces. It's quite different, by the way. The, the demonic madness is quite different from the uh, fallen angelic genius that we observe in uh, Satan and in his agents and so forth. So, uh, anyway, these are the various terms there. Now, in the fourth area, we look at their fear. You know, demons are afraid. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. When we study demons, sometimes uh, it invites angelic conflict, and, and we expect that. Anytime we get into realms of angelic conflict or demonology, uh, it, it heats up. That's just the way it works. We're not afraid of that, though. Why would we be? Those forces are defeated and disarmed. We have armor. We're on the winning side. The only time they have power over us is when we give them that power by taking off our armor and and plunging into the mental attitude systems of fear. If you have confidence, then there's nothing to be afraid of with respect to any particular demon or all the demons in the abyss. doesn't matter. So a passage like this can be instructive because we observe how afraid they are. Demons are afraid. Interestingly enough, now as we read this, Uh, Verse, I'm just going to kind of stick, I guess, to Matthew. The others are fairly similar. Uh, So two demoniacs met him as they were coming out of the tombs. Why were they hanging out in there? Well, that's the nature of their insanity. Also, interestingly enough, it's the nature of... Demons in the sense of haunting uh, dead places, haunting places where uh, death has occurred on on uh, whatever scale, maybe even uh, their own death. If uh, uh, this was the location where this particular giant was slain, then uh, the things there. I will take the time at the end of today to really explain that more thoroughly if you want a, a larger explanation of it uh anyway they were so extremely violent no one could pass by that way made it real rough to have a funeral when you couldn't even get your loved one to the cemetery because these two guys were hanging out in there all right anyway notice their fear in verse 29 they cried out saying what business do we have with each other son of god what business do we have with each other son of god now do you think the human beings knew who jesus of nazareth was we have no record that Jesus of Nazareth and his humanity ever traveled over here to the Gerasene region, the Gadarene region. He would have had no reason to do so in this region of Decapolis. He was raised in Galilee, and by and large, the Jewish people avoided this particular region because it was so uh, Greek, it was so uh, pagan. But here he is arriving, first day, first moments off the boat, encountering these guys, and they know who he is. That is to say, the demons identify his deity. The demons have the perspective to identify in the spiritual realm things that, of course, human beings can't, uh, can't peer into that spiritual realm with our earthly eyes. But they were able to identify him. This will be characteristic in many upcoming cases when he encounters these demons. And he actually warns them on a number of times to, to, to shut up and stop testifying. He wants when he, he wants to be accepted by the Jewish people on the basis of the Jewish prophets, on the basis of the scriptures, on the basis of faith, he, he doesn't want to be witnessed by demons to the Jewish people. See, Not that their testimony was inaccurate, but it's not the testimony of God's word that he wants to have exalted and glorified. So uh, what business do we have with each other, Son of God? I don't know if this expression is familiar or not. We've heard it before. And I will jog your memory this morning as we go back to what we'd studied. We've seen that phrase one previous time. Uh, and then the, notice this other question. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now we recognize what they're afraid of. We recognize that they have scheduled... A a time of tormentation. In fact, it's eternal torments that is their destiny. That they are headed for this torment. They just don't want it to be today. (laughs) All right? But the day is coming, and they know it. They know their own doom, which is interesting. Have you come here to torment us before the time? And I was going to put the word up here for torment, and I failed to do that. So let me just throw it up here. Um. Because it's interesting, there's a compartment even in um, Sheol. There's an apartment in Hades that we think of as torments. And uh, here's our verb. So I'll bring it up and you'll get a... uh, Let me bring it up here so you can get a Strong's number. Basanizo. Basanizo. B A S A N I Z O number nine twenty eight. Basanizo. I used to work with a waitress who had a last name similar to that, and I'm not saying that she would torment me on shift, but it made it easy to remember the uh, made it easy to remember the particular Greek word. And now, thankfully enough, she's born again. She's a sister in Christ, and we'll be together in glory for all eternity. Basanizo, number 928. And uh, the place of uh, torments, the place of vexation. Imagine that taking place eternally. So There's vocabulary for you on that. Here's our question. What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. What business do we have with each other? Now, that's a hard idiom to render. It's hard uh, every time we encounter it. It was hard when we saw uh, Jesus saying that to his mother at the wedding of Galilee. She said, they've run out of wine. And he said, what business do we have with each other, woman? And... It's it's an awkward expression, and you can tell it's pretty awkward by virtue of the uh, number of ways that it's rendered into English by the different modern publishers that you pick up, from a New American Standard to a New King James to an NIV and so forth. They all do different things with it. The, uh, The actual idiom we'll see here in a moment. What is it to you and to me? What is it to you and to me? What is that between us? Or what is there between us? We could render that. As uh, Christ was telling Mary that, uh, they've run out of wine. He says, what is that between us? Okay, And all too often that's viewed very uh, offensively, it's viewed very dismissively, negative and so forth. It doesn't have to be taken that way at all. That could be a very positive statement. Mary says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, well, what's that between us? Big deal. Who cares? Let's get some more wine. That's no big deal. And so the expression could be, rather than dismissive, it could be uh, affirmative. It could be positive. Um, you know, Jesus saying, hey, for you, mom, anything. Okay. In a friendly sort of way. Uh, when there's the demons that are speaking it and we see the fear being played out here, we know, okay, it's not a friendly kind of way. <laughs> and you'll see that here in a moment. But tormenting before the time, before the time, you know, it's remarkable that they don't know the time. They are watching the signs of the time, same as we are, and they don't know the time. Only the Father knows the time. See, in his perfect wisdom, he has not made that known, not only for human beings and our natural rebellion and so forth, but also in the angelic realm, the timing of the Father is not known. And that's uh, a tremendous advantage in the, in the angelic conflict. Now, secondly, what business do we have with each other? And this is the, these are the renderings here in Mark. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, and some of the phrases are interesting. Here it's Son of God and Mark it's Jesus, Son of the Most High God. They actually knew the name Yeshua. They knew the name of Savior. I implore you by God. What right does this demon have to invoke the name of Elohim in his uh, imploring? You realize if you, if you invoke a deity in your entreaty, you are calling him to witness for your particular petition, for your particular request. See, it's one thing to say, I promise. It's another thing to say, I swear to God. Because what are you doing when you say that? You're invoking his holy name. And if you bring his holiness into it, you better be truthful in the things you're saying. as he will not allow his name to be, he will not share his glory with another. He will not allow his name to be profaned. And you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, here's a demon doing it. I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, it is interesting, even in the demonic sense here, that they are actually legitimate in in recognizing that there is a time coming. That there is a time coming of their eternal punishment. And that if it is not the time now, then is this request legitimate? Why isn't Satan in the lake of fire today? Why aren't all the fallen angels in the lake of fire? Why, why aren't all the demons there? What, what's the point of this delay? See, well, since God has chosen to do it, since God has chosen to manifest grace, since God has chosen to exhibit the realm of humanity as the testimony of grace in the angelic conflict, then it's not for their sake that, that their tormenting is delayed. It's for his sake that their tormenting is delayed. And so whether these demons understand it or not, when they make this request, I implore you by God to not torment me, they're actually pretty accurate in their request. Does that make sense? Because it's for God's sake, not their sake, that their tormenting is delayed. Uh, Three verses later in the Gospel of Mark, he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Uh, and, And that becomes interesting. Let me... Get off of Matthew here and turn over to Mark. And you'll notice, I mean, they're so desperate to occupy uh, living flesh that if they're banned from human uh, possession, they'll even be satisfied or at least they'll make do with pigs for at least a short period of time. Somebody asked me a couple months back that said, "Pastor, I think my cat's demon possessed said, "Well, is your cat a believer?" <laughs> All right, near as I can tell, believers are the only ones that are exempt. these swine certainly weren't didn't have any exemption. they're an unclean animal, is so your cat so that then what's the answer? Can you come over and do a an exorcism? No. <laughs> it's not my gift, and I wouldn't do it even for a cat. Certainly not for a dog, but not even for, not even for a cat. Anyway, the, uh, notice though, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now it's interesting, the the, the time of future torment is one thing, but this is now a present torment. The idea being that if they are expelled from the living flesh, then that disembodiment is viewed as a tormenting. That disembodiment is viewed as a tormenting. If you think about it, it's interesting. The the nature of being clothed, uh, the, the souls that are under the altar in Revelation, we see that, that God clothed them with robes of white so that they might not be found naked. And it's our desire in the resurrection that we might not be found naked. That is unclothed and just simply our bared souls. Uh, and the, the blessing of a resurrection body there as 1 Corinthians 15 describes it. So the idea of these disembodied spirits actually craving embodiment. If, if humans aren't available, pigs will work. But any, any living flesh, any mortal body, um, anything that breathes. See, I don't, you know, I don't believe a, a plant or a, some kind of a, a tree or anything would work, but something that's living. In, in, in Genesis, it was man and it was the land-based animals that were told that were given the Shema, that were given the breath, that were given the life. So uh, if if people aren't available, these breathing, uh, living animals will work. And to be apart from those animals is considered a torment. A torment. And this is, again, part of the evidence we look into to the fact that demons are not fallen angels. Fallen angels are spirit beings. They've always been spirit beings. They've never had physical bodies. They take human form for short periods, for uh, specific purposes, but they don't have physical forms. They've never had physical forms, and there's no indication that they crave such physical forms. Demons, though, are another story. They consider it to be uh, bodiless as a tormenting, for he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Interestingly enough, it's taking even the Lord's commands here a number of occasions. How many times did he say, come out of the man, you unclean spirit? In verse 8, we don't know. We're just told in, in Mark 5, 8, that he had been saying to him. He had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And here's the spirit-indwelled, spirit-filled prophet of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet ever, saying, come out of him. And they're resisting, and they're arguing, and they're whining, saying, don't torment us, don't torment us. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Many. This has launched in all kinds. Of the, the, the Roman church in the, in the Middle Ages got real deep into this whole deal, trying to name demons. They viewed this was a step, and they viewed that if you can't cast it out in the, in the first place, then you've got to get power over them by learning their name. And then when you have the name of the demon, then you can cast it out. And they kind of use a concept like this as justification in that regard. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, notice that second step. First of all, not to be cast out of, of, of these human beings in the, in the, in the, uh, cemetery, but out of the country, out of the region. If you cast out a demon, how far does it, does it get flung? You know, if there's a demoniac here in Austin and we expel him, how far does that go? It's kind of like, uh, you know, you yeah, shake up a, Bottle of Coke or whatever, and then you pop the lid, and how far does that thing fly? If you pop a demon out of a man, how far does that thing fly? Well, now, it's interesting, because the the fear here to be dispelled from the country, I think, becomes significant for a lot of different reasons, and I'll illustrate that here in a moment. But why are the demons attached to particular geography? Why are they attached to particular reasons, see? Why do places become haunted. I'm talking biblical terms. I'm talking on you know Halloween ghost story stuff about a haunted house or whatever. I'm talking about a legitimate geographical location that is the haunt, and Babel uses that word, the haunt of jackals, the haunt of demons. What is so significant about this region that they're attached to it? Now this question, what business do we have with each other? Here's how Luke puts it. Luke 8. What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, similar, in fact, identical to Mark's rendering. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now here's the third imploring. Not to be cast out of the man. Not to be expelled from the country. And now thirdly, not to go away into the abyss. Let me flip over now to Luke 8. What is the abyss? Luke 8. 8:28 seeing Jesus he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice what business do we have with each other Jesus son of the most high god i beg you do not torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man so being disembodied was a torment for it had seized him many times and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard See, again, back to the Roman Catholic Middle Ages, they used to think things like epilepsy and whatnot, that those were instances of demon possession. See, they didn't understand medical seizures and whatnot. Uh, He was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. What was so significant about that wasteland? What was so significant about that um, desolation? so Jesus asked him what is your name and he said legion for many demons had entered him they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss there's the third fear so not to be expelled not to be uh, driven from the country and now thirdly not to go away into the abyss the abyss again we understand a compartment within sheol the bottomless pit it's called it's the that that uh, chasm in between Abraham's bosom and Hades. Remember Lazarus was on one side being comforted and the rich man was on the other side being tormented. Remember? Night and day. And he said, you know, can Lazarus come over here and, you know, cool my tongue or whatever? And uh, Abraham's, no, there's this deep chasm. There's this abyss. In fact, in Revelation it's called the bottomless pit. Anyway, this is a fear this is a fear for demons there are uh in fact we've got a passage coming up in revelation if you want to just take a peek at it we're here with me if we look at revelation chapter 9 the fifth angel sounded now this is way ahead of where we are we're going to start chapter 7 next sunday chapter 8 the sunday after that chapter 9 should be christmas sunday nothing like the bottomless pit and all the demons to really make a good Christmas message. Visitors will get an idea real quick that we're not uh, we're not a sermonizing, uh, light and fluffy kind of place. The uh, fifth angel sounded. So after six seals or after seven seals come seven trumpets. In fact, the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. And so the fifth angel sounded, that's the fifth trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven. Remember, star is a symbol of an angel, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as scorpions of the earth have power. You think these are normal locusts? I think these are uh, the, uh, you know, the insect that uh, that today's zoologists can study, or insectologists. I don't know if there's a term for insectologists. I just don't know what it is. Uh, what is it? There you go. Yeah, bug studiers. And uh, no, these are not, these are not normal bugs. You'll notice um, they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment Now they're coming from a place of torment. They have their own eternal torment that they are destined for. But during the time of God's wrath upon the earth, they themselves will be used by God for tormenting purposes. And uh, they would, but they're not permitted to kill anyone. But to torment for five months, and the torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. God will not permit physical death during this span the span of this judgment. And I can just imagine, I mean Hollywood would really do this up in special effects or whatnot, but just imagine. They have all this torture, all this pain, all this torment, and they want to die. So they stab themselves, can't die. Ooh, that hurt. Jump off a bridge, splat, can't die. Ooh, that hurt. Imagine. Trying what they can, but they cannot die. The appearance of the locusts and was like horses, prepared for battle. On their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Yeah, show me a what would you call them, entomologist? Uh, you know, find me one of those guys and say, describe these uh, locusts here for me. These are demons. And these are demons. And uh, they have power, tails like a scorpion. Anyway, it goes on down here. And uh, they have as king over them the angel of the abyss. See, I think this is also significant. The demons are themselves not angels, but they're subject to the fallen angels. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. All right. So there's uh, information there. So... It's one thing, of course, to expel a demon, and we're told that when the demon goes out, he can come back later, finding the house swept and put in order. He can bring seven friends with him, and that is worse than the first. But if he's actually expelled to the abyss, then how's he going to get out? Well, he's not, not until Revelation chapter 9. Not until Abaddon is provided the key and uh, permitted to unlock that door and then 200 million of these demons then flood the earth now this idiomatic question what is that to you and to me was featured previously in the water to wine miracle john 2 4 so this is some point d the idiomatic question was featured in the water to wine miracle from john 2 4 if you were with us back then we were in the beginning of jesus ministry and it was the fourth episode in the beginning of jesus ministry the Hebrew and even is found twice in the Old Testament, Judges eleven, twelve, 12, and 2 Samuel 16, 10. Those are worth looking at because of the hostile nature of those passages, Judges eleven, twelve. 12. They were not as illustrative for us in the, uh, the conversation between Jesus and his mother because that was not the hostility uh, uh, atmosphere that uh, we have here with the demons. Or that we have in these Old Testament examples, Judges eleven. Remember Jephthah, the ninth judge. And uh, Jephthah had been driven out of home. Jephthah was was uh, persona non grata, we would say. His brothers wanted nothing to do with him because he was uh, he was a bastard. He was not uh, not legitimate. Uh, he was a son of Gilead, but. Unlike Mrs. Gilead, who had all these other sons, uh, Jephthah was, was one of those unplanned pregnancies. <laughs> Jephthah was, uh, was, you know, his mom was, was a harlot. And so, uh, obviously, Mrs. Gilead wasn't exactly thrilled to have him around. And neither were the sons, the other sons of Mrs. Gilead, the half-brothers here. And probably Gilead himself uh, was a little bit embarrassed by it. So, however it works, Jephthah fled. And in uh, verse 3, Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows gathered themselves around him. Those are actually Belial's gathered around him. And so, basically, he makes a name for himself there, and he's kind of the chief of the Belial's. And and, uh, anyway, when Israel's in trouble, they need help, and, and that's who they need. They need the brother that they drove out, the brother that they despised. And so they sent messengers, and it's interesting. Uh, they want him to come, and, uh, but the idiom is found in verse 12. Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the sons of Ammon, saying, What is between you and me that you have come to, f- to me to fight against my land? So there's the atmosphere of hostility there. What is between you and me? What is it between us? What is it between us? What's the beef? What's the, what's the argument? In other words, uh, can we settle this or do I got to kill you? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, admittedly, if, if you can settle it apart from that, can, can we resolve this? Then uh, I guess you can. So the demons are asking that with Jesus. What's, the, what, what's between you and I? What's, what's the beef? Are you coming to torment us before the time? What are you showing up now for? It's not time yet. So, anyway, there's an atmosphere of hostility there. And then the king of Ammon thinks he has a, a grievance and so forth. And Jephthah actually is a student of uh, Israel's history. He's able to resolve some of the things that happened there during the days of Moses. All right, 2 Samuel 16. 2 Samuel 16 and verse 10 is our second example here in the idiom. Hmm bit of uh, hostility again, almost an exasperated Jesus, or exasperated David. Later on, two th- a thousand years from now, it will be an exasperated Jesus that uh, is dealing with a hostile situation here that really shouldn't be. Uh, David's fleeing the throne at the moment because his son Absalom has staged a coup, and David has to flee for his life. And he's on his way out of town, and here comes Shimei to curse him. The son of Gerai, is cursing him. And uh, anyway, calls him all kinds of names, calls him a worthless fellow, calls him a belial and this other stuff. And so in verse 9, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Remember who Abishai is. He's David's nephew. And Abishai and and uh, his his two brothers here were just... You know, David put up with them because they were his sister's kids, (laughs) right? And they were generals themselves, and and at least Abishai was a mighty man of valor. Joab was never called that, but Joab was the head of the armies, and and, uh, these are significant characters in, in their own right. And Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. See, and I like that. That's handy. See, Nowadays, of course, pastors have deacons, which is really nice. If there's trouble, we just one of the deacons stands up and says, "You know, pastor, can I go over there and cut off his head?" All right, I'm joking, but still, people are on hand to take care of problems—that is a good thing. Now, when you fast forward a thousand years. It's not, uh, it's, it's again family because James and John, the sons of thunder, are cousins to Jesus Christ. But he's passing through a Samaritan village and James and John, uh, react to the insult and say, let's call down fire, let's, let's, let's nuke this village. And Jesus is pulling his hair out and saying, oh my goodness, you sons of thunder. See, so it's history repeating itself, foreshadowing and fulfillment. But, the king said, what do I have to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? What is that between you and I? What's the, what's the uh, issue here between us? Why are you so worked up about it? I'm not worked up about it. If he curses, and if the Lord has told him to curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? What are you so worked up about this guy cursing me? I'm under divine discipline. God has taken my throne. I'm fleeing the country. Absalom has taken the, the throne of David. If, if the Lord has told him to curse me, then I'm getting cursed. The corollary to that, of course, is if the Lord hasn't commanded him to curse me, then why worry about it? <laughs> it's just the cursing of some lunatic or demoniac or whatever else. If the Lord has his flaws, not behind it. I'm not worried about it. But if the Lord is behind it, then I'm under divine discipline. And I have to accept it. So, uh, so if he curses, and if the Lord has told him curse David, then who shall say why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? He says I'm not really worked up about Shimei. Who cares? This idiot Benjamite is cursing me. David says that's the least of my troubles. My son just stole my throne. You think that's a bigger issue? <laughs> Because it's breaking David's heart. David loves Absalom. So those are the two passages. And, and we've got more on that. We studied that in the Life of David series. But those are the two idioms. Judges 11, 12, 2 Samuel 16, 10. Both rather confrontational. Both uh, illustrative for our study here this morning in the confrontation between Jesus and the uh, legion. These demons. All right. Now the swine. What's up with these swine? Not a Jewish region, obviously. Jewish uh, people wouldn't be keeping swine. They wouldn't eat them. They don't keep them. They don't touch them. They have nothing to do with them. These are unclean animals. But he's dealing with uh, Gentiles who have no hang-ups against pork or against the unclean animals. When you study the swine, keep in mind, they are unclean animals being tended by unclean people. I could add to that, living within an unclean land... And now possessed by unclean spirits, and now possessed by unclean spirits. Just keep the context in mind: the Pharisees would go nowhere near here. But here's Jesus. What's he doing on this side of the lake? Well, we don't know, among other things, but one thing I can tell you, there's, there's a guy over here's going to get saved. <laughs> so is it worth going to an unclean land? Being surrounded by unclean people. Eating unclean food. See, the Pharisees were so condemning for Jesus because he's at dinner parties and there's tax collectors and there's harlots and there's all kinds of other sinners and things. And they they just said, he can't be a true prophet. Look who he's hanging out with. But people were getting saved. The Father was being glorified. I think uh, one of the things we ought to consider in our ambassadorship function in the dispensation of the church is that... We're going to be around unbelievers. And, you know, hopefully it won't shock you. (laughs) You can have some grace and have some patience and and realize, you know, dogs bark, cats meow. Uh, Apple trees produce apples and unbelievers do the things that unbelievers do. That should not be shocking. Doesn't mean that you participate in those deeds. It just means that that you are uh, an ambassador behind enemy lines. Animal possession is preferable to, a disembod- to being disembodied for these daimonia. There was nothing in particular special about the pigs other than the fact they were available. <laughs> they were available. The distance might even be uh, interesting. Now as we look at it, There are pig herders here, people, herdsmen. Notice what they're called in verse 34, they're herdsmen. Herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out of the country. Okay, so in the same distance, in the same proximity as the herds, were the herdsmen. So why didn't the demons run there? Okay, I'm throwing out more questions than answers this morning, aren't I? But the idea is, if they are being expelled, beyond just simply the, 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 the narrow view of saying, okay, you're out of this person, see? And if there were two demoniacs there, well then how come these demons didn't just come out of here, and those demons didn't come out of him, and then trade places and jump back in the other guy? The idea is, is that they were being banned from human possession they were being banned from that realm of human possession because the, the two human beings here were off limits as were the herdsmen there are herdsmen in verse 34 so if those demons that were being cast out of uh, the human being typically referred to as legion we don't know his, his earthly name we don't it probably was bob for all we know but if they were cast out of that guy they couldn't go into the other guy and they couldn't go into these herdsmen Plural herdsmen, we don't even know how many. But it's plural herdsmen, so however many that were coming out of uh, legion and a sidekick could have gone into those herdsmen if they were permitted to. But being cast out means they were being banned from human embodiment. And so they were begging for animal embodiment. So the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. So it's interesting. Being banned from human possession, they were requesting, begging really, permission for animal possession. Animal possession is preferable to being disembodied for these bodies. Remember, they viewed being disembodied as torment. Now, the question, why did the swine drown? Why did the swine drown? I was asked this last week, or two weeks ago. I was asked this. And then what is the connection between drowning in water what is the connection between water and the abyss? You know, we use the term abyss as an idiom for the depths of the sea. Even movies, there's a movie out there called The Abyss. What was it about? About the deep places of the sea. Okay. There some alien that was living under there and whatever. I didn't see it. I commercials for it. Why did the swine drown? And it's, it's sometimes it's thought that he said, okay, you yeah, have permission. And so the demons then occupy the swine, and then the demons order the swine to run into the sea. I don't believe that. I believe the demons wanted to live in the swine, but the swine, driven by madness of demon possession, rushed into the sea. In in their own insanity, in their own animal uh, uh, fear, their own animal uh, rage and whatnot. So even though the demons were afraid that they were going to be expelled into the abyss, they begged permission to enter into the swine. Jesus, knowing what would happen, said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. They occupy the swine. Swine plunge into the sea. And my belief is, text doesn't spell it out, but where did these demons then go? Because the demons are gone. There's not a trace of the demons after the, the, the herd rushed down into the steep bank of the lake and was drowned. There's not, a, there's not a, a glimmer of the demons after that. Well, where did they go? See, but the belief is that that locked them in the abyss. The belief was that the drowning of the, of the individual... Trapped by drowning by water—that is, death by water—trapped those souls. See, at least for a period of time. Um, work to do on this. If you want to do a study on the abyss, here's your use of it in the Gospels. Romans ten seven is your other use of it in uh, the Epistles. And then you have to turn to Revelation to find the other uses. We already looked at chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 11. It comes back again in chapter 11 and verse 7. These might be worth looking at. Uh, Revelation 9. Revelation 9. We already saw Revelation uh, 11, though. Notice what happens there. We're introduced to two witnesses. Great debate on who those are. I'll save that for Sunday morning coming up. Um, But they have a testimony. They're going to lead a tremendous revival. Jews are going to be saved by the boatload and 144,000 are going to be sealed for their own evangelism ministries. Now, when they, the two witnesses, have finished their testimony, the beast, that's Antichrist. But notice, where's he come from? The beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Antichrist has an origin related to the abusos, the abyss. Remember, uh, I mentioned a while ago, we'll talk about it some more. The Antichrist is not entirely human. That should be a big clue that he comes up out of the abyss is an indicator. Over in chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come. A being that could have been in the past is not now, present, but is about to come, future. That's not entirely human either. In fact, earlier in Revelation, that was a description of God himself. The beast, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come. But notice, where is he coming from? About to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. Because, of course, he loses, Jesus wins. Finally, it's used in chapter 20 when Satan is bound for a thousand years. Where is it that he is bound? He is bound in the abyss. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were complete, after these things, he must be released for a short time. And that final release is later on in the chapter. All right, so what is the connection? Remember, as we discuss the origin of these demons uh, in terms of the giants. In terms of the Nephilim, in terms of the, the spirits of those Nephilim. And how were those Nephilim killed? In the flood. Did they have anything to do with water? <laughs> All right. Anyway, there are connections, and there are more studies to be done on this. More questions and answers at this point. But the drowning of these swine is significant, particularly in light of their fear that they would be trapped in the abyss. Finally, the locals, and I'll dismiss with this because we're at the top of the hour. Whoops, back up. The locals, this will conclude the study, under point six, the locals. Not just the herdsmen, the herdsmen ran and got the people of the town and reported uh, it in the city and in the country. And so you got the city folk, you got the country folk, they all came out, the whole region. People went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from, who, from whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. Well, where do those clothes come from? Either Jesus or one of the apostles or somebody, you know, he looked at this guy and said, well, you know, Thaddeus, he's about your size. you got a spare set of clothes for him. They dress the man. Say, not just giving him spiritual information. Who among you is without food, without clothes? Find some earthly needs and, and fill those as well as the spiritual needs. Clothed and in his right mind. Sitting in Bible class, being taught, asking to join with him, interestingly enough. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for him. He now has a Gentile evangelist in a Gentile city. While Jesus takes his disciples back into the Jewish territory. What an opportunity. The native Garrisones were accustomed <laughs> to the demons and the demoniacs, but they were afraid of Jesus. You know, think about it. Think about the unbelievers you know. They're afraid of the Lord you serve. Well, why wouldn't they be? Their lives are living in open defiance of Him. They will give an account to Him at some point. And even the most militant atheist, externally, still has that internal conviction of his soul. More afraid of Jesus and accustomed to the demoniacs, and even a land can be acclimated. I'm gonna. We may take the first few minutes next week to come back to this, but there's some scriptures in Isaiah uh, as well as Revelation, and some real things to wonder about our own nation. Has our land been defiled? Is is the nature of our land when we sing "God Bless America" and so forth? Is that biblical or has our land been so defiled by the blood that's been shed by the innocent lives that have been slain by the demons that have been served by the sorceries that have been accomplished is our land so defiled and at what point is the defilement of the demons such that even the the pivot or the blessing by association of believers we are salt and light but if a land has become unsalted because it is so overwhelmingly demonized that our salting influence as a preservative is minimized. What happens to our land? So there's scriptures there. We'll come back to that and move on to our next episode in our next session. But I, I wanted you to at least see what those scriptures are. and get them written down. Isaiah 13, 21 and 22. Isaiah 34, 14. Revelation 18, 2. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look at those next week together opportunity to to share some of that. All right. Any questions? I know I went long, but I started late. I started three seconds late, so I went three minutes long. That's fair. One minute for every second. Yes, ma'am. Uh, visible things that you can see in a demon-possessed person. Uh, the biblical descriptions we have here of the wildness, of the insanity, uh, that's pretty indicative. Um, oh yeah and, and they're typically thought of as mentally ill i mean we had him in the jail we had him in the jail the the earthly psychologist in the jail thought you know here's a guy who's mentally ill say no here's a guy that was demonic and he would claim to be jesus christ and all this other stuff you know he was a 65 year old black guy that was about five foot three and 135 something pounds and and uh, he'd strip naked and stand on his bunk and do all kinds of stuff. And he claimed to be Jesus Christ and start to order me around. And anyway, wouldn't put up with it. I said, you're not Jesus Christ. I know who my Lord is and, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, they put me on that post a lot for different reasons. Two South is what it was called. And it was the psych unit. But things got quiet. And I just go in and I start praying. And start praying, you know, Lord, quiet the demons, shut them up, whatever you want to do with them. But I need to study tonight. I've got to feed the church and give me a good study time so Austin Bible Church can be fed the word of God. And, and i just start my study that way and the inmates would, would shut up and go to sleep. And, and it was pretty typical. My uh, sergeant was a, uh, he himself was a Christian, a Baptist deacon from down Buda or somewhere. And uh, and he'd say, uh, you know, Bollinger, do you mind doing two south again? We can uh, shut those demons up tonight. Yeah, no biggie. I like the study time. So, anyway, that's, that's an indicator. All right, Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your mercy, love, and grace. We ask for your hand a blessing upon us. Having heard the message, Father, um, work within us that which is pleasing in your sight so that as we go forth we might live what we have learned. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.